God who created the heavens and the earth. Science will point to him. And, and when we look at this, the word of God is the foundation of everything. In Malachi 3.6, we see this. Ot consumed. Okay? So, I the Lord, every single one of us have changed. When you were 10 years old, <laughs> you're, now that you're whatever age you think you are, <laughs> now that you're older, you have some realities that set in. But God stays the same. And, and there's, a, there's a comforting thought in that because a lot of times we have these relationships that we feel like, man, like these are, these are my friends or these are my people. We will never be apart. This will never change. But then when it does happen, it's almost devastating. It's detrimental. It's this hard thing we have to go through where it's like, man, what happened? You know, and then in looking at all of this, uh, people are relative. They change in different situations. You think that they'll do this one thing and they do this other thing. And it just happens. But God stays the same. Your friendships might change. Your lifestyle might change. Your health might change. Your age will change. <laughs> but God stays the same. He is a constant. And this gives us freedom to make decisions based on the word he has given to us. More than the situation we are in. See, what happens is in an emotional response we always respond to what we're in. In a response to what God says, we respond to who he is. And that is the constant that we can base things on. Okay? It's like this. You ever been on a roller coaster? Yeah? Who has not? <laughs> All right, just, just checking, because I was thinking maybe someone here. But... We've all been on a roller coaster, and we know that when you're on the roller coaster, it's about to, you know, it goes up, and that's like the scary part. You're like freaking out. You're scared of heights. You're closing your eyes. You're passing out. <laughs> and then it goes up, to, and, it, and it crests, and then you start to go down, and what do you do? Usually, you know, everybody says, put your hands up, right? That's the thing you're supposed to do. But most of the time, you grab the rail, you grab it. You're afraid of falling out. It's that natural reaction of just grabbing the thing that is solid. And that's what I'm saying. That's what God is like. We can go through the ups and the downs, but we're stabilized by who he is. And we hold on to him in those moments where it's like, man, this is changing rapidly. I want to talk about the valleys, more precisely what it looks like. Uh, a vision for the valley. In Ecclesiastes 7.14, we're going to read from three different translations. The message says this, on a good, die, good day, not die, <laughs> on a good day, enjoy yourself. On a bad day, examine your conscience. God arranges for both kinds of days so that we won't take anything for granted. That's, that's a great thought right there, okay? NKJV, which is New King James Version. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. ESV says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. One of the biggest signs of maturity in your life is the ability to trust God. That's one of the biggest signs. 
Uh, when I say in your life, I mean as a Christian. That's one of the biggest signs. When you're, when you're a, a mature Christian, you have this ability to trust God. When you're a new believer, you're like, who is God? <laughs> Where is he? You know, I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't feel him. What is he doing? You know, there's these questions of who he is. So one of the biggest signs of a mature Christian is the ability to trust God. New believers don't know how to trust God, and they also don't know how to reflect. See, that's one thing that as a mature believer, we know how to trust God, and we know how to reflect on what has happened. Reflection is a word that the mature can fully grasp, because reflection means this. I can look back. I can look at it and think about it. Immaturity doesn't allow us to do that. Immaturity does not allow us to look back. Okay? What I'm saying is this. There are things we have to examine. What happened? Why did that happen? What could I have done differently? That is reflection. It's not, this is their fault. Everything was on them. <laughs> reflection is, what could I have done differently? Did I act appropriately? Did I act like a Christian in that situation? Or did I cuss them out? We won't go there. <laughs> Reflection is a word, like I said, mature can fully grasp. To look back with the ability and examine and investigate what happened and what can I learn. Immature people respond in defeat through embittered emotions. Think of it like this. The person that's in an argument, okay, we'll say, we'll say like a married couple. We'll give that example. Okay, a married couple gets in an argument, okay? One spouse says to the other, you're annoying me right now, okay? What happens is the immature person takes that and defines their self through it. It becomes a, a, a motto, a life motto, you know? <laughs> like, I am annoying. I will never be anything else but annoying. And, and that what happens is because we take that in that heat of the argument and the emotional response and we define ourselves in it and we, all we think about is what they said. So everything they're saying to us, we're like, you called me annoying. <laughs> they're like, but I love you, but you called me annoying. So you love this annoying person is what you're trying to say. And, and that's what happens in the immaturity. We begin to define ourselves off of that hurt. And, and hurt is something that is real. I'm not, I'm not trying to like negate it or omit it. It's real. Hurt is real. But what I'm saying is this. We are defined by what God says about us. We are not defined by those moments of hurt, by those moments of, of ugliness that have happened. When we cannot see past our valley, we get stuck and we build a house there. And then the whole world is, is just a depressing place to be. And we lose out on all the things that God has for us because we, we can't see past it. Like I said, sure, we can get hurt, but our hurts don't define us. The mature Christian says, Lord, your ways are better than mine. Whatever you're thinking about me is better than what I'm thinking about me. It's better than what they think about me. And even in this valley where I feel horrible, I am not what I feel. I trust that you are leading me out. 
a lesson to be learned in the valley is from a man named Job. Okay, so we read about this guy named Job in the Bible. We go to Job 1, 1 through 3. Now, we're not going to read it all, okay? I would love for you to go read it all so you can hear all the details of what happened in this guy's life. But Job 1, 1 through 3, it says this. There was a man in the land of Uz, or Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So think about it like this. It's like a Bill Gates. That's how wealthy he is. He's just like this huge, uh, huge amount of wealth. And not only that, you know, there's all the conspiracy theories about Bill Gates, like, oh, he's a lizard or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, but there's this, there's this scripture that, that talks about who Job is, and it calls him blameless and upright. Now, I don't know about you. Those words probably can't describe me for my entire life. <laughs> blameless and upright. So the Bible describes this guy, Job, as blameless and upright, meaning there was no fault. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing things the right way. And some of us know we are to blame. <laughs> some of the things that have happened, they were your fault. <laughs> you should own that. Maybe we should stay there for a little bit. <laughs> some of the things that have gone on, they were your fault. You know, but here you have a guy, Job, and he's blameless. He didn't do anything wrong. Okay, some of us aren't able to be called upright in all of our ways. We haven't made the best decisions. We haven't made the ones, the decisions that were actually uh, good. <laughs> Maybe just in the small moment of the day, you know, you go to buy something and, you know, you give them a 20 and they give you change for 100. And some of you here today may be like, you know, oh, thank the Lord, he blessed me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that that situation is something where I'm saying like an upright person says, oh, I'm sorry, you gave me too much change. And so this is the type of guy that Job was. He, he, he did good and he loses everything. Everything. His family, his wealth, and it even gets to the point of his health. And that's why I want you to read it, to go actually home, go read it, go check it out. But he, in uh, uh, Job 1, 13 through 22, he loses his property, his wealth, and his family. And then in two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he loses his health. So there's literally everything has been stripped away from him, from Job. He, like I said, he was blameless and upright. He loved God, like he, he was trying to serve God, trying to do what was right. And in this situation, he loses everything. And here he is in this valley where he can't see God. Where's the good God? Where is he? I'm only seeing the ugliness here. But he trusted God in his valley. In Job 13, 15, New King James Version, it says this, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. ESV says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. 
See, Job knew this. He knew that, God, this is unfair. And, and a lot of times I think most people feel like they can't have that conversation with God. They feel like, well, I must be being punished for something. But a lot of times it's good to have that conversation with God. Lord, I'm living right. This feels unfair. I feel like I was violated. I feel like it was torn away and it shouldn't have been. I was doing what's right. And that's what Job says here. He says, though he slay me, I will trust him. But even so, I will defend my ways before him. And the biggest lesson we can learn from a man who suffered and lost everything, everything he worked for, everything he loved, everything he valued, his words were, even if God kills me, I will still trust him. And that's Christianity. Because it's something that's just, it's hard to swallow in a, in a contemporary context where we're taught, do what's good for you, get yours. What benefits you? Get your money, get your bag, you know, like, go get your stuff. And that's, that's what we're taught daily. Even Christian influencers will be on uh, TikTok being like, go make some money for Jesus, you know, like, and, and I'm not saying that money's wrong and having, that's, that's fine, man, be blessed, awesome. But what I'm saying is this, he trusted God no matter what. In 13:16, he also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. NIV says, indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person will dare come before him. So even in this, he knows the, the honor and the position you must hold to even talk to God. He says a hypocrite wouldn't stand before God and say, Lord, what's up with this? He says that in my life, I've been living right. God, what's going on? I wouldn't even stand before you if I was living like a hypocrite. If I was living this double life, saying and acting one way and living a totally different way where nobody can see me. And Job was saying that when he stands before God, he won't stand there ashamed of his actions. He will stand and say, God, I was never hypocritical. I believed you are in control and I trust you. And I remind you again, when you're in the valley, look up. That's what Job did. Job literally was like, God, <laughs> this situation here, I don't want to even, like, I'm, I'm looking at what's going on. My family has been killed. My, my home has been destroyed. All my wealth is gone. My health is failing me. But I'm going to look to you. You'll never see a peak or mountaintop if you're always living up there. And that's the funny thing. Like, I always would joke with all the, um, okay, this is kind of churchy. But, like, so I, I grew up in church. <laughs> And so I would get around people who were very spiritual, like very spiritual. And, you know, they would uh, always, I mean, like, I don't want to make fun of you if you do this, so don't be offended. But, like, they were always listening to worship music, and, like, you know, they, they just had this, like, thing where they were like, oh, you know, man, hey, man, just, just love Jesus, bro. Just, it's just like, like, do you ever get angry? Like, <laughs> you know, it was just like, are you human? Like, and, <laughs> and looking at this, I just always felt like they lived at this, like, mountaintop where it was like, bro, like, a lot of us are down here. <laughs> like, what are you doing up there? Like, and then just the reality of realizing they were just so out of it that they never really even paid attention to the negative things. And it was detrimental to them 
Because when negative things became a forced reflection, when they were forced to look at their reality, they were not able to actually talk to God because the only God that they knew was the God that gave them all they wanted. And they were always happy and everything was perfect and everything was great. And then when things went wrong, it was like, I don't, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't want to serve a God that doesn't give me what I want. And, and all the ones that had the valleys, they were like, no, man, I trust God. Even in the things that, that happened that I didn't want to happen. Even in the things that I was not counting on. Even in the things that I didn't think about. Valleys give us perspective. Valleys give us a voice. Valleys give us understanding of what other people are going through. There are some people going through some horrible, devastating things. You know, and, and we may come to church and we feel good and we talk to somebody and they're like, and we're like, you know, why are they so depressing? You know, they always come in with a bad mood. You know, well, you haven't been what, what they've gone through, you know. And, then, and just this reality of understanding that perspective of sometimes we feel far from God and we don't seem perfect. <laughs> And we seem angry. And we seem like something's going on. We seem depressed. And, and we have to understand that they, they're probably in a valley. And we have to remember what it feels like to live in that valley. And that's the encouraging word that comes. And the greatest parallels for peaks and valleys are, are the Beatitudes that Jesus taught us. In Matthew 5, 3 through 12, there's this thing that Jesus taught us. And, he, and it's like a... It's like a um, let me show you this, and then let me show you this. And he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. So first off, he said, blessed are the poor. <laughs> so that attacks some of your theology. Like, <laughs> I thought God wanted me to be rich. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you will. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he says, the poor, the lowest of the low of society, uh, They'll have access, and the kingdom of heaven will be theirs, okay? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And it's like this... The poor and the kingdom, the mourning and the comfort, the meek and they receive everything, the hunger and the thirsty ones are filled. It's like that moment when you realize, man, there are so many hypocrites around me. There are so many liars around me. Nobody keeps their word. That moment when you realize that and then you recognize that you are called to be that. Because they've probably never seen it. And they're probably expecting it from you as well. The parallels of the peaks and the valleys Jesus taught us go hand in hand when people hate you because you're a Christian. Not even because you're preaching at them or because you have a Bible. Just because you follow Jesus. Your reward is great in heaven. In our weakest moment, 
is usually where we are able to see God move. Let me say it like this. There's a lot of things that we can do, okay? Some of us are really good at stuff. It, it, you know, if we all put our minds together, our resources together, we can get a lot accomplished. But there are some things that we want to be weak in because we want God to move. Because if we do it, it's like, you know, if it was a scale of 1 to 10, it'd be like a 0.5. <laughs> but if God does it, it's like a 20. It's like something so much bigger than we ever imagined. Even, like, I'm telling you, even coming into this building, like, I literally was praying, Lord, we need a big place. We need kids' rooms. <laughs> and it needs to be cheaper than what we're paying. And I literally, in my head, was like, I have no clue where I'm going to find this. And literally just started random churches calling them. Like, hey, you guys got space to rent to us? <laughs> got a few no's. Got a few, like, well, we'll see. <laughs> Never got back to me. And then God opens his door, but it was something where I would say this, it, I didn't do anything in particular. I literally just called and talked to them and said, this is what we're looking for. Would you rent to us? Lady didn't know our church. The, the administrator of the church, the pastor of the church, the, the leaders of the church, they had a meeting. They came together and said, hey, this church is asking if they, if they could rent the property. You know, let's look them up. Let's check them out. You know, and then we'll give you an answer. So they called back and said, we want to rent to you. I didn't do anything. Yeah. That's, but I'm just saying this. Imagine, like, if, if I did what I had lined up, it wouldn't have been that great. <laughs> We'd be in someone's backyard. No, I'm just <laughs> But in our weakest moment is usually where we are able to see God move. Isaiah 40, 29 says this. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Think about that. Think about that. God, I don't know what to do in this. God, I can't do anything in this moment. God, there's no way. There's no way for this to happen. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, ESV, it says this, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God moves in our weakness. God moves in the things we can't do. I would say this, even for some of you praying for loved ones, family, friends, saying, God, I, I just want them to know who you are. That's a weakness. You, you, you go try to do it yourself, they're going to be like, nah, we know you. <laughs> if you're a Christian, I'm not a Christian because you go there. You know? Like, they, they know. They know. And it, there's too much maybe. And you try to force it or something like that. But there's just some things that when God moves, he moves. He doesn't need you. That's one of the biggest myths, I think, that most Christians believe that God needs us. God doesn't need us. He loves us. He wants us around. But he doesn't need us. We're not, like, I, I look at the, some situations just feel like, man, God would have done that anyway. I just happened to be in the situation. <laughs> I cannot paint a picture of your relationship with Christ of being easy. That is not what's in the Bible. I'm not going to tell you being a Christian is easy. It's not. It's hard. It's challenging. It's, it's something that every day you'll have a challenge. And that's just the reality of it. But let me help you understand weakness. The impact you make in your life will not be when you are at your highest point of success. Okay? It will not be then. Okay? 
The impact usually comes when we are at a low point or when we have gone through a low point. Let me explain it like this. Okay, I heard this thought one time. I forgot who said it. I would give them credit if I remembered. I, I just don't remember. But it was, it was, they were talking about an archer, okay? You know what an archer is? Archer Farms, Target brand? No? All right. Anyways, the archer is the one with the bow and arrow. They, they pull the bow back, right? Pull it back. And when they're aiming, they're aiming at an arch. <laughs> so the target is usually not directly in front of them that they aim straight. Because of the distance it needs to travel, it has to be an arch. And so what happens is the archer aims, releases the arrow, and it goes up. Right? But it doesn't hit the bullseye there. And, and there's a reality to that. Like when we, we see God move in our life and we think like, oh man, like, you know, this is awesome. I love what God's doing. It's amazing. And then things start to change a little bit. We're like, hey, what's going on? But usually, usually, the impact that is made happens when we begin to come on the other side of that. And we hit the bullseye because the aim was important. The arch was important. The things that have happened in our life are important. The, the, the things that were great and amazing and the things that were not so great, they give us the right position to make the right impact. And all the things we've been through, all the things that were challenging, all those areas, we begin to understand, okay, Lord, I didn't know I was going through this thing and it was supposed to help me, but not just help me, it was supposed to help some other people around me. I didn't know that. I didn't know that when I was going through it. I was just angry. I was just like, God, why are you letting this happen? You see, God wants to use your life to impact the world around you. And, and like I said, it, it's the coming down part. It's, it's not the living in the, the peak. It's the valley that, that gives us that testimony to understand, to say like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get the way people feel when they feel far from God. I understand that. And I can, I can share with them, hey, things will change. And you're not alone. Like God's there. He's with you. You just feel far from God. But he's there with you. Think of those moments when you feel so close to God, you feel like, man, it's the best day ever. Those moments when, you know, uh, even just going and hanging out with people, you know, you're at the, it's the right atmosphere, you feel great, you feel like, dude, this is, this is awesome, man, I love being around these people. And there's times when you're like, man, don't even talk to me. <laughs> those moments when you feel amazing, and then those days when you feel like cussing someone out because you don't like their hat. <laughs> Amen. One amen. If any of you drive, you know, it, there's times when you're just like, you know, you're, you're trying to listen to worship music, you're trying to pray, someone does something, and you're like, you know what? <laughs> it, it just, it, it's part of who we are as, as people, as human beings. But those are the days we have to remember. Those are the days of impact. Those are, those are the days that God's reminding us, hey, man, you, I know you feel great, but there's some other people around you that don't. And, and they just need you. They just need you to be a Christian. Not perfect. They just need you to be a Christian. They just need you to, they, they need you to point to me, to Heavenly Father, to say, God, I'm not perfect. I'm angry today. But man, this person next to me needs prayer. So I'm going to pray with them. 
You know, those moments, that's what being a Christian is. Those are the days of impact. Those are the days that God wants to use you to make an impact and hit the bullseye. In your valley, you're looking up and you're trusting God, and that's when we can really affect the people around us. When we begin to understand that we will go through valleys, but we will hit the peak too. We'll reach the top. We will go through valleys, but we will reach the top. And those are the moments when we begin to trust God. And people begin to see you. And they see your testimony. And they see that not everything's perfect in your life. And, and people are like, I can't believe that they're so nice. I know what's going on in their life. It's a mess. But man, they're just nice people. What is that? <laughs> That's Christianity. That's the faith. That's the belief in the unseen, the hope that we have that says, God, I know I feel far from you, but uh, this is going to change. I'm not going to be in this season forever. I want to remind you, Christian, disciple, believer, when you're in the valley, look up. They teach us to do that. The valleys teach us to do that. On those days when we're weak and we remember the scripture, we remember that we are called to make an impact and we won't feel at our best when it happens. But we know, we know that we can hold on to something that never changes because we feel like we're here, but we're holding on to the God that doesn't change, that stays the same. And even in our brokenness, we hold on to him. And everybody here, like I, I do encourage you to take this uh, number one in a way that says, I'm not perfect. To know that. None of us here are perfect. None of us. I know some may uh, hide their sin a little bit better. <laughs> some may seem like they have it all together. But none of us are perfect. We all are in need of a savior. We all have those times and those days when we just feel far from God. All of us. You know, I, I can imagine uh, even uh, uh, like uh, Becky, uh, Nani, you know, in, in the hospital, like, you know, why would you let this happen, God? You know, why is this going on? You know, and maybe they just feel like just some kind of way about it. And just knowing that we're praying for them, you know, that we know, hey, man. I know, it sucks, but you're going to get through this. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I want you to remember this thought in a way that begins to remind you on the days that you feel far from God. Okay? I, I want to remind you about something that there are hurting and broken and lost people in the world, okay? Some of us, we found our way into a church, and we found Jesus. And we said, you know what? All the hurting, all the, all the loss, like the, the mindsets, all the things that broke us, like we found Jesus, and, and we found this hope. And even though things still aren't perfect, we have this thing to hold on to that says, I know my situation, but I can hold on to him. But I want to remind you that there are a lot of people that don't have that. 
there are a lot of broken people that have no hope. None. No one has shared the gospel with them. No one has said, hey, you know, there's more. <laughs> there's, there's a better life. There's a hope that you can hold on to. Let's stand. Worship team can work their way up. Ecclesiastes 7.14. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. It says this. On a good day, enjoy yourself. That means this. When things are going good, it's okay to celebrate. It's okay to be happy. When things are going well, be happy. But on a bad day, examine your conscience. Examine what has happened here. God arranges for both kinds of days so that we won't take anything for granted. I just want to pray, and then we're going to sing. And I want to invite you, if you want prayer, during the song, you can just come up. But we're going to pray for us and close this sermon. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you have spoken tonight. We thank you that this seed was planted in our hearts. That we can trust you. That in the valleys, in the dark places, in the places that we feel far from you, in the places that we feel hopeless, we feel like, man, where are you, God? We feel lonely. We feel like no one understands. We feel like we're the only one in this situation. We pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would remind us that there are the mountaintops, that there are the places that we will reach, we will get to, and things will look so different, and we'll see further than we've ever saw. And life will be greater than it's ever been. And we trust you there, and we trust you in the valley. And in the valley, we will look up. We will say, Lord, Father in heaven, we trust you. We trust that in all that's going on and all the things that feel broken and lost and hopeless, Lord, we trust you that even if my own life fails, I trust you. I believe in you. I ask, Lord, today that we be reminded that we are followers of Jesus, that we be reminded that we are disciples and believers in the hope and that we believe in the unseen. We believe that those that are far from you that one day they would know you and we pray for that today in your holy name Jesus we pray amen we're going to sing and like I said if you want